You are listening to the Screen Slate Podcast. I'm your host, John Derringer. And on this episode, I am thrilled to speak to one of my favorite filmmakers, Kelly Reichardt, about what I think is one of her finest films, Showing Up, which opens this month in theaters nationwide, including today in New York at Angelica and AMC Lincoln Square. Michelle Williams plays Lizzie, a sculptor preparing for a show at a Portland art gallery while dealing with a lot of very relatable personal and creative issues related to her artist landlord Joe, played by Hong Chow, and the various characters and family members in and around the art school where she works. We talk about Reichardt's own experiences teaching at Bard, shooting in her own backyard, turning outcasts Andre Benjamin into a certified ceramics guru, and in a little bit of fan service for our local micro-cinema maniacs, we make sure to shout out Light Industry, of which Reichardt is a recent board member. By the way, if you want to hear more about showing up, I recorded a great pod. It's one of my favorites that I've done with cinematographer Christopher Blauvelt. So take a look in our archives for that one. Before we begin, I want to give a huge shout out to our own community of listeners who support us on Patreon and make all of ScreenSlate possible. We don't have ads, we don't have big sponsors, we don't have grants, and our Patreon members not only support the pod, but our New York City film listings, the film criticisms that we publish every single day, the daily newsletter, and more. Visit patreon.com slash screenslate to become a member. And with that said, here's Kelly Reichardt. Maybe I could start with a question that I, I feel like will be of unique interest to ScreenSlate listeners, which is, I, I thought I caught a moment in showing up where a package arrived for someone named Ned Halter. Did I hear that correctly? Uh, it was Jed Halter. I wasn't allowed to use Ed's name because he's, uh, you know, too well known. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah. So you've heard, you heard right, but yeah, okay. I, I mean, it was actually Jed Halter. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I thought maybe it was Ned. Well, it, it, I mean, it was, a, it was my shout out to Ed. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Ned. Yeah. Because I think I had seen you introduce some films recently at Light Industry, and you had mentioned you share an office together at Bard. But yeah, I mean, this film seems like it reflects in many ways your teaching at Bard and um, also the community there, not just uh, Jed Halter, but, you know, Ben Coonley, <laughs> who's in the film. And I wondered if you could talk about that. Sure. I'm glad we talked about Light Industry because, yeah, because I'm on the board. Um, yeah, yeah, you're a recent board edition. I mean, we could just not, talk about hype up light industry for right, I know. You know, now the duration. I've done my board, I've done my board work. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can uh, relax for the rest of the year. That's it. Um, let's see. You know, we wanted to shoot at this school, the Oregon College of Arts and Crafts, which is really an important institution in the Pacific Northwest, has been. It's a hundred-year-old school, not, not in that actual location. It's been there since, I think, late 70s, early 80s, but it just shuttered its doors in 2018. And like a lot of art schools in America, a huge loss uh, for the community. And so really wanted to shoot there before it becomes the next thing that it's going to be. And because of COVID, the school was empty and we were allowed to shoot there. And that was awesome. So we got to make up a whole art school. And so, of course, I leaned a bit on my couple of decades at Bard College. And I've always been interested in Black Mountain College and have made a trip down there. And in the last time I was at the Wexner Center in Columbus, they had the uh, Black Mountain College show, which was amazing. I don't know if you got a chance to see it with all the... But Annie Albert stuff has been around now. It's getting really out. She has that beautiful book. And so that whole... Uh, the history of that school is pretty interesting. And so there's some odes to Black Mountain College in there too. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's reflecting a whole legacy of of many different liberal arts uh, colleges yeah. and, you know, not just Bard. Yeah, I mean, actually, you know, when we were shooting there, myself and Tony Gasparro, the production designer, you know, we created, like, got to figure out, it was fun, like, what classes there would be and where they would be. And then Tony and the art team just started bringing in young artists from Portland um, to make the art to fill the rooms. And we got uh, some looms in the room and the head PA on our crew knew how to do the looms and was teaching everyone how to uh, weave and stuff was being made in every room. And then the young actors that were playing the students came and they're just kicking around all day because they got to just wait and wait and wait. So they just start getting into the clay and learning how to do the dye and learning how to. So by the time I get there, they're teaching me how to do it. <laughs> uh-huh. So it was, it became this active place of where stuff is being made in every room. And it was great, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's um, such a life to the school in the film. You know, I think that that spirit of creative collectivity really comes across. I'd also heard that Andre Benjamin had been walking around playing flute a lot on set. Yes, that's <laughs> right. He, he, he just plays his flute whenever he's not working. Mm-hmm. And it's a big wooden flute. I forget. He told me what it was called, but I forget. And so, yeah, that was kind of a soundscape for a lot of shooting. And um, it's so lovely. The last day at the school, he just stood out in a fe- the field there and uh, let us record him. And he just played for 45 minutes. And so I had this cachet of beautiful flute mu- music when I went into the editing room, which is really awesome to be able to make use of. Yeah, I mean, it's a really wonderful musical motif throughout the film. And so that was all just recorded like a field recording and kind yeah, of improvised. Just a, yeah, and, and Ethan Rose is the composer that yeah. did the um, digital music in the film, which I thought was like a kind of needed contrast to all the really tactile uh, hippie art that was being made. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I think I had read you originally, uh, you and John Raymond, who you've been collaborating with for a very long time, mm-hmm. were thinking about um, doing a story about the Canadian artist Emily Carr, that she was an artist who was also a landlord and had sort of become consumed right. uh, by the the work of being a landlord, right? Uh, rather than, than focusing on her art. Do you want to talk about that and how the story took yeah. shape? We went to Vancouver and we're both big fans of her painting. And she's, you know, been inspirational in some of the films, just, you know, her paintings, like, you know, when I'm shooting in the forest and stuff. And so, um, wow, we are really not Googlers because we went to Vancouver <laughs> and we thought this little known painter in this dormant time <laughs> that she's working in, you know, then we got to Vancouver and we learned that. She's, you know, she's huge there. I mean, yeah. there's, we should have known we were staying at the Emily Carr Hotel. hotel. <laughs> like something was up. Is but, that, um, is that like property that she owned? That was the yeah, name named Or after that her? was like the house she grew up in. I mean, oh, there's wow. everything Emily Carr ever did is a, a thing. There. Yeah. Do they have and like tchotchkes, the Emily Carr keychains and stuff like that? And uh, her, um, Oh, oh, yeah, for sure. But you could go to, um, oh, my gosh. I mean, like, uh, the, we went to research, we went to her house, her young, her first house, and to research it. And it's a, um, you know, it's like a Emily Carr Museum. And 
the tour guide was like, well, you know, uh, the BBC is already doing something. So don't even, you know, I mean, it was just like, <laughs> uh-huh. you couldn't even get your elbows in the, uh, it was the, it was a crowded field. And so we did get to see some of the school she painted in with the, those other artists in, in a gallery, but you know, there's statues of her and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think she's taught in every elementary school. I, I don't think I was ever taught about a painter in elementary school. Yeah, neither was. I mean, maybe like Florida. children's yeah. books with paintings in them. But yeah, no. <laughs> the uh, Hungry Caterpillar. So, uh, the Canadians have it going on with that. So anyway, we came back home. And, um, and while we were there, we were both sort of having family crises each of us. And we were both on our phones a lot, not really able to focus anyway, because we both had things going on at home. I guess that's the kind of stuff that ended up the landlord and the distractions of family and, you know, and the connection with the people in your life and all that sort of stuff started sort of worked its way into the script. At what point did it go from being a story about an artist landlord to an artist with an artist landlord? I, you know, it was a long road with some like kind of failed drafts. And then I, you know, the getting back and getting closer to our own world kind of made me really nervous. And I was like, oh boy, making a film about contemporary artists, that just seems so scary to me. And um, even though I knew like the scale we were talking about. And so while John was tooling away on the script, I went and, um, you know, I went and filmed Michelle Segre in her studio. I made two shorts for the Pompidou. Well, I shot Michelle Segre in the Bronx and her work is in the film. And she has a studio in the Bronx. And then I went out to Long Beach and filmed Jessica Jackson Hutchins working at uh, Cal State in these huge kilns they had there. And um, just to figure out, just to watch people work and see how they work. I mean, I hang out at friends' studios a good bit, but this was like, how would I even film people working? I just wanted to try it. Yeah. And and around this time, like John was sort of cultivating the whole family relation and that relation into the school, um, which is really great and kind of central and core to the whole thing. I knew we were going to shoot on that street because that we shot on where the apartments, our friends built those apartments. And we've had lots of friends living in that we've known over the years that have lived in those apartments. I've stayed in them. And so, you know, it's a, it's a street full of friends and people, you know, basically all artists trying to have a place to live, go to work, do the thing. So we ended up at some point when I was working on the script, I knew I was going to use that space and the up and down of the, the you know, the carport kind of in the balcony sort of set up. Yes. Yeah. They're and, really beautiful um, homes. Yeah. Uh, and also that I think that spatial dynamic works really well with the characters. It was great. Yeah. I mean, they were tiny, tiny spaces to shoot in, but they, um, yeah, it was a good setup for them. So a lot of the spaces I had already spent time in. Hong Chow's uh, character, Joe's studio, is my friend Storm Tharp's studio. And um, and his artwork is in uh, Joe's apartment. And Michael Brophy's artwork, the painter Michael Brophy, is, has the giant painting that's at the school when the uh, on the balcony where the guy's vacuuming. And Michael Brophy, you know, did the storyboards for me for Night Moves and Meeks and has done a lot of scouting with me and Neil Kopp, uh, my producer. 
and he's used some of my location pictures in his paintings. So it's all a big like jumble of stuff. Chris Johansson's uh, paintings are in there and Johanna Jackson. And just we got to use a lot of cool art that I, you know, I wish I could have hanging on my walls and and so at least can have it in my movie. Yeah. Is, is this something that you had maybe had in the back of your mind, like a long running desire to incorporate the work of all these friends into a film? Um, no, or is it just something actually, that just kind of worked its way it out? It kind of just worked its way. Yeah, it wasn't a... Um, no, I mean, the process was, you know, we were at it for a few years trying to make all you know figure it all out but it wasn't like something i'd been planning to do for my like i said we were going to go to i'm always trying to get away from my world my own world when making a film um this time i really shot in my own backyard boy (laughs) i I mean mean, do you ever feel is it almost like a godfather type thing where it's like it's pulling you back in you know you're trying to like get away from that milieu but right um well this time it's like I, you know, we shot at like bookstores we love and things like that. So now every time you go in there and you're just want to be, you know, la 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 in my own little brain, you're whatever. We've, we, we crashed all the places. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's sort of like you get the Kelly Reichardt tour if you watch the oh, film. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Kelly Reichardt it's also, and friends, but it's, yeah. Um, yeah, but it's a lot. It would be a lot of people's. Yeah. I mean, yeah. John Raymond, too. And uh Storm Tharp, all these people I mentioned, like it's, yeah. I mean, that's something that I think is really wonderful about the film, even even visually, is it looks very lived in, like the studios. You know, I didn't want to yeah. presume watching it that you had filmed in actual artist studios, but apparently you're, you're saying that is Well, those plays, but they all got dressed to be other people's studios. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. um, we brought a lot of uh, Cynthia Latte stuff over to, uh, even though where we were shooting is the apartment of another studio, we emptied it and brought in all her stuff because, you know, everything was dressed and revamped for, and everything hand selected for Mm -hmm. the characters. But the, so yeah, we moved everything out of those apartments uh, from the artists that lived there, moved stuff in Mm -hmm. (laughs) for the artists that were supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it all looks very, very um, used in like a very real and very loving way. Like even just a little, I don't know, jars of that, whatever that's, stuff. A lot of that's um, our decorator, Amy, who's uh, and Tony Gasparo. That's a, a good team for um, making things lived in. Yeah. yeah. And you've worked together on a number of films. Is that yeah. correct? And like that's a lot true. of the, the crew. I mean, could you talk about this group of people that has been assembled over the years? And, you know, Christopher yeah. Blauvelt, um, who I had spoken to before. Yeah. Chris Blauvelt's pretty essential in my filmmaking now. I mean, uh, I mean, finding the right DP is really took a long time and was hard. And we've made five features together and one of those shorts Chris shot. And uh, yeah. And so you're, you're kind of just picking up where you left off and you have a, a common language by now. And we've like, you know, he's shot so many tests we have, you know, it's kind of all your tests for what you can remember just on various lenses or whatever. I mean, it's just, it's great. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, uh, yes, he's great. <laughs> he's awful. Don't use him. Leave him alone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, it would be uh, a shame if he would, you know, have other work 
come up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you get in these relationships that have been ongoing. It's uh, Janet Weiss, great drummer and of Quasi and uh, also fabulous location scout. Yeah. She did First Cow. And and then, of course, Neil Kopp and Anisha Johnny, the producers I've been working with and since uh, Old Joy. And then, of course, Michelle seems to really anchor a number of the films as well. I Michelle, like LeGros comes point. back. A lot of people come back. Um, yeah. Yeah, Michelle. And yeah, she does a lot of stuff in between. And I've done some do things in between. And then you meet again. And it's great because, yeah, you both have like picked up some some more tricks of the trade on the along the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's kind of wild that three of the people in this film were nominated for Oscars, I think. Michelle's work here, it's a lot. I don't know, maybe it feels like a little more interior, um, if that's fair to say. Yeah, could you talk about shaping that performance and collaborating with Michelle? Sure. I mean, uh, gosh, it's such a, you know, what the film's about, it's a process. Everything's a process. And, uh, you know, first, the first sort of beginnings of it is, you know, the gossip stage with, uh, uh, as we like to call it, with John Wayne, figuring (laughs) out, you know, the salad of, you know, taking things from a bunch of different places and people and all and forming uh-huh. into these two characters. And then and, and so also when it, can, can you elaborate on the calling it the gossip stage? Well, like you're sort of sharing stories or anecdotes. Well, just, you know, and... just taking pieces of how people work, anxiety, mm-hmm. approach to other people, approach to sure. the world. I mean, you know, even ourselves. And sort of it's like a collage that comes together, right? And mm-hmm. some people aren't even, you know, might not even be people we know personally, like you read something of someone or from a book or any, you know, sky's the limit. It's not all just like out of our little neighborhood. Then there's that phase. And then I like a lot of images and I work with a lot of images of, I had like all these different women working um, in clay and I'm like, how is this all going to um, now I got to get into the reality of casting it. One uh, really important person was uh, Lee Bonacue, the sculptor. And uh, when I had images of her, I really thought, oh, you know, I see Michelle. This is great. Like, it helps me to have a, um, I'm a simple minded person. I, it helps me to have an image of a, a person in actual you know it was nice to have an image of a sculptor that i could see some resemblance in and it was a and it was sure, quite a yeah. start talking to michelle and then you know michelle i'm kind of talking to her about who the character is but then she and hong are each spending time with the artist whose work they're using so they can feel comfortable with the art and you know i say well this isn't you know the person that you're but I'm sure it's impossible for them to not absorb things from those people because they're learning that's really personal art and they're learning stuff from those women uh, spending time at their studios and that kind of thing and whatever they're bringing to it in their own stuff. And then, you know, voice posture. And then it's always a big deal when everyone gets in their costumes and, you know, getting the clothes right and the shoes right and all of that kind of stuff. Gosh, I wish I could remember it. I won't be able to remember what it says, so I can't quote from it. But I 
I just read, you know, a Dave Hickey, I think it's an older Dave Hickey piece about Robert Mitchum. I won't try to say what it's all about. It's kind of like how everything in the scene, like the props and everything, everything's real except for the actor and, you know, being becoming as real as the pot of coffee or whatever it is. <laughs> I'm doing uh-huh. yeah, that yeah. interpretation of it, but. Uh, no, I, I, I think I understand yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. And I, and I mean, I think Michelle fits really well into this milieu that you've created, you know, which is a place that also exists. It's as you're saying, it's kind of like your backyard, but she f- feels like she belongs there when you watch the movie, you know, she kind of disappears or melds into it, you know, which is the case with all the actors um, as well. You know, uh, Hong Chow and Judd Hirsch. um, Yeah. Andre Benjamin. You know, I think it's really remarkable when you take someone like, you know, Andre Benjamin, who's such a, you know, such a superstar and he works so well as just the kiln guy. (laughs) Well, he went out to Long Beach uh, where I'd made that short to learn the kilns. And mm-hmm. I thought he'd go out there for a day. And then he's just like texting me at the end of the day, like, oh man, Clay, I knew I was interested <laughs> in this. And then he just kept going back, you know? So, um, yeah. But Is he, he like had, a ceramics junkie yeah, now? He became, what do you say? So by the time we got him, he was pretty comfortable uh, handling stuff and with the kilns. And he... Um, yeah, he we wanted this person to be um yeah, like the kiln guru and um mm-hmm. and he's got that vibe for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He doesn't get rattled. Um, it's like yeah, oh, great. Um Well I love the I love the way he plays off that scene where you know, where the uh piece is kind of burned. Yeah. I think there's an element to the film where everyone's just like a little too chill maybe which feels very real to me you know it's not necessarily that lizzie's lizzie's not uptight. too chill yeah exactly and and you know lizzie's maybe a little more high strung but it's also that everyone else around her feels like a little too easygoing about yeah. everything <laughs> and some people you know easygoing is the um you know the thing they wear on the outside um and mm-hmm. sure, uh, yeah, yeah. And that works in a certain way because you know, everyone wants to be the easygoing person. Uh right. You know, an early thing, uh John's description, an early description John had of Lizzie when we were starting out was uh as a, a, a trapped badger. And I, I really mm-hmm. thought that was like a great way of looking at her and I understood like exactly what that meant. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's true. So Andre's like the the Andre's character, Eric, is the, you know, yeah, he's the ultimate, uh, he, he's truly at ease. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He seems very unflappable. Yeah. Could you talk about working with Judd Hirsch? Because, you know, he's such a, a iconic actor and he's so funny in this film. And, and yet another example of a character who's very loose. Supposedly, yeah. Yeah, maybe a little in denial and distracting himself by he's got a little that character has a little of different people in it a little of my dad in there for sure um especially with just having whoever's come over and stay on your couch and judd was (laughs) he's a total character in real life um and he seems like he isn't it seems like you can't get his attention and he's not going to focus and he doesn't focus 
until the scene starts. And then he, I, I really, the scene of him and Michelle in his studio, I've never shot a scene where I've felt emotional while the scene was being shot. And I felt emotional while that scene was being shot. And he, he just, he gets with it and he really, um, he does it. This every take is different and he can even put the humor in a different place. And, um, and his total ability to be like the, I don't know what's going on guy, uh, dad. I mean, I knew he was doing, I thought he was great when we were shooting, but like being in the editing room with his takes and just really going through stuff. I was like, wow, man, he really did different things constantly Mm -hmm. and all good. Like they were all ones you'd, uh, um, takes you could use and it would make the scene different. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was great. He's a great actor. Yeah. yeah. The the gallery, Lizzie's opening, um, yeah. watching him sort of engage the other characters. I, I almost got the sense that maybe on the set he had, he had been similarly just kind of like bullshitting with everyone. Um, kind of All putting... the time. Not <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. We're rolling over here, Judd. We're rolling. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just kind of like holding up the scene doing or something. His thing. He's just doing his thing. Yeah, he um, and, and him and Amanda just as two people together. That's pretty good. You know, Amanda Plummer and uh, Matt Malloy, their parts aren't really that huge, but they're so great. Um, yeah, I, yeah. And they're bringing, you know, so much with them. And I that's a really wonderful thing. Yeah. I know, obviously, you're like completely inundated with the release of this film now. Is the process in gear for the next oh, film? Gosh, like, how does... Oh my goodness. I can't even think about anything. Else. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. 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 We'll just go and see the movie and that's the best. Thing. Yeah. Go see the film, check out light industry. Yeah. And, right. Um, yeah. Subscribe to screen slate. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. All good things. Woohoo. Awesome. Um, thanks. All right. Um, yeah. Um, cool. I love what you guys do there. So thank you. Cool. It's a good thing. Yeah. Um, cool. I'm into it. This has been the Screen Slate Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks to everyone at A24 who helped us set this up. And of course, a huge shout out to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash to become a member, join our Discord, and get other perks. And be sure to follow the pod on iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your pods. And a reminder too that we have one with showing up cinematographer Christopher Blauvelt in the archives. So take a peek and check that one out. We have another pod next week with Christopher Borgley, director of the fantastic new film Sick of Myself, and I'll be moderating a Q&A with him Wednesday evening at IFC Center, so keep an eye out for that one. All right, we'll see you soon, and thanks again.